Well, good morning. If you're new to Faith Bible Church, I'm Pastor Steve, and we are in a study in the book of Matthew. And I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. And this morning we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, down through chapter 9, verse 8. I'm going to read that out loud, and you can follow along in your copy of of the scripture, uh, Matthew chapter 8, starting to read in verse 28. When he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out saying, What business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him saying, If you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take up your bed and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. This morning as we look at these verses, I want to take a little bit of time on the front end and remind us how these verses fit into the overall message of the Bible. Remember the Bible is a unified book, even though it was penned by around 40 human authors over a period of about 1600 years, Second Peter chapter 1 verse 21 tells us that it wasn't just like these guys got together and said, hey, let's just write some things and call it the Bible. And it says that men moved by the Spirit of God, born along by the Spirit of God, actually spoke God's word. So that what they wrote was God's word to us. And because of that, there is a unity from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible. And that unity is actually seen in the verses that we're going to look at today. And so to see that, I want us to go back and just be reminded of some of the big picture themes that we find in Scripture. Remember that God is the creator of angels. Now we're going to talk about some demons today. These would be angels that actually fell. They followed Satan in rebellion against God. 
And But when God first created angels, angels were his servants. They were subjects of his rule. He created them to serve him and worship him. Psalm 103 verses 20 through 22 says, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty one who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord and his heavenly host, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his domain. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Hebrews 1.14 Are not all angels in this ministering spirit sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? But there was rebellion. Satan rebelled against God, his creator. And this rebellion set up two kingdoms in conflict. God's kingdom and Satan's counterfeit kingdom. Ephesians 6.12 For our struggles not against flesh and blood... But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So God's kingdom is initially seen in his good creation. From the moment Satan rebelled against God's kingdom, God's rule, God's theocracy... God began establishing his kingdom program and his right to rule. And we've been talking in the book of Matthew a lot about the kingdom of God. The concept of the kingdom of God goes back to even before creation. The word theocracy means God ruling. So God's rule in the heavens over the angelic realms was a direct rule. But then, in demonstration of his right to rule, God set up a theocracy on earth in the Garden of Eden. Unlike his heavenly rule over angels where he ruled directly, in this new kingdom on earth, God assigned authority to rule to man as his representative. So, man, as God placed him in the Garden of Eden, was God's co-regent. He was God's representative. Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Then God said, excuse me, Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Psalm 8, 4 through 8. What is man that you were mindful of him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. All that swim the paths of the seas. Hebrews 2, 8. And putting everything under him, God left nothing that's not subject to him. Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to him. So all that God created was good. And God put man as his representative to rule over God's good creation. But remember, Satan led that rebellion. And we see that Satan's wicked kingdom is in conflict with God's good rule. Right from the establishment of God's kingdom, rule on earth, in the Garden of Eden, by means of man, God's assigned representative, Satan initiates conflict. From that point on, Satan is attempting to establish his counterfeit kingdom above God's. 
Satan, we know him as the ancient serpent of Revelation 20 verse 2, tempts man to sin, usurping man's authority as God's representative on earth. From the point of Adam and Eve's sin, all humankind are born into the kingdom of darkness, Satan's counterfeit kingdom. The earth and sinful humankind desperately need redemption. So here's God's good creation. Man and woman sin. They, in their sin, don't remove God's design, but sin acts as a parasite on God's design. Ultimately, redemption is the restoration of God's good creation. Restoration of God's good creation is the same thing as the coming of the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus has been preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is proclaiming that God wants to bring the complete restoration of his kingdom. But they have to do it through faith in Jesus. Two kingdoms have emerged. God redeems Adam and Eve by means of an animal sacrifice. Remember Adam and Eve after they sinned hid from God in the garden of Eden. They didn't want to talk with him. They, they were ashamed. God killed an animal and made clothing for them. That's the first aspect or example we see of a restored fellowship with God through a sacrifice. Through God's plan and provision for redemption, his kingdom will be ultimately established on earth. The goal of God's kingdom program and covenant promises is restoration of God's good creation. The ultimate fulfillment of God's program is the perfect Davidic son, Jesus Christ. And remember, we've been talking all through the book of Matthew so far. Matthew is trying to show that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah, that 2 Samuel 7, when God told David, your descendant is going to rule over a kingdom of righteousness on your throne forever and ever, and he will be known as a son of God. Matthew is trying to show that Jesus is that Davidic son. He's the perfect Davidic son. Luke 1.32. He will be great. Will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. You see how the New Testament ties right back into 2 Samuel 7. It's an integrated unit. And it's that way because the spirit of God is bearing these writers along. So that what Luke writes and what Matthew writes is consistent with, with what is foretold in the Old Testament. Luke one thirty three. he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Again, fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7. The new covenant blessings are initiated and come into fulfillment by the Davidic king. He came, Jesus came to restore God's good creation. He came to usher in the kingdom. Remember Matthew 4.17? From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is there to offer Israel the kingdom through faith in him. Sometimes God breaks through. He demonstrates his rule by directly intervening in human affairs. And that's what Jesus has been doing in healing people. In his healing, he's showing people that he's God. That he's broken through. That he's the God man. 
Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus offers himself to Israel as the Davidic king, ready to usher in the promised kingdom, but Israel is going to reject him. Israel must repent and then the Davidic king will begin his reign on earth. And one day, we know from Romans 9, 10, and 11 that that will happen. In many other passages, that Israel will come as a nation and trust Messiah and the kingdom will, will be initiated. That's why in Acts 3, we read, repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. So we find from the very beginning of our Bible God's good creation Being damaged by sin. And two kingdoms emerging. This wicked kingdom. Satan's kingdom of darkness. Constantly battling God's kingdom. But one day. As we're going to see this morning. God's kingdom will win. Because the victory has already been secured in the cross. And it's so fascinating to me. To see is we're going to look at these verses this morning to see how these verses fit exactly into God's overall theme of scripture of God restoring his good creation. And Satan and his forces have already been defeated. And that's important for you and me to remember. When we live in this world in which we see brokenness and hurt all around us. That all of that brokenness and hurt will end. Because Jesus Christ has already secured the victory on the cross. And we're going to see that while Jesus' disciples didn't quite know who he is. These demons that Jesus is going to speak with here as we look in Matthew 8. They know exactly who he is. And they, they know that they are all ready Defeated, And as we look at these verses, we see how they fit into this unity of scripture. In the early 1990s, uh, Barbara and I went down with our three little preschool age boys to go visit my parents who were living in Phoenix. And we had a nice trip and great time with grandpa and grandma at grandpa and grandma's house. Months later, I was talking with my mom on the phone, and if you would have known my mother when she, some of you know her, but when she was, uh, she's got Alzheimer's now, but when she was fully functioning, she hates any kind of dirt. I used to drive her crazy by telling her, you know the average human being eats 2.34 pounds of dirt a year, and she's, her response would be, not in this house, they don't. And even in her Alzheimer's, you would find her when she could still walk, she'd always be cleaning. She'd be at the nurse, she'd spend hours cleaning the nurse's station. She just hated dirt. And she's on the phone with me and tells me, uh, I still haven't taken away the fingerprints. I said, what? 
There's glass all over this house. Big walkout window, walkout doors. And she wouldn't remove the boy's fingerprints off the sliding doors. I mean, it's been like three months. I said, Mom, get out some Windex already. And she said, no, I just like seeing the fingerprints. And you know what's so cool about the scripture? Is when you start reading the scripture, you just see God's fingerprints over it all the way from the beginning to the end because it all ties together even in the words of some demons and that's what we're going to see this morning as we open up remember with me that Jesus has demonstrated his authority last week we looked at Jesus calming the storm remember there's this huge storm and the disciples are in the boat with Jesus and they're thinking we're all going to die, we're all going to die Jesus won't you help us and Jesus is just sound asleep, sleeping through the storm and he awakens and he speaks a word and the storm is instantly calmed and Matthew records that for us because as a reminder that he has the authority of God because he is God And we look back at Psalm 89 verse 9 and Psalm 65 verses 5 through 7 that show in the Old Testament worshippers mind, God is the only one who controls the seas. This morning we'll see that he not only calms the storm, but he has the authority to cast out demons because he has authority over the demonic world because he's already won the victory. I'm going to take a moment and read to you out of Revelation 13. Verses that talk about the one that we refer to in our circles as Antichrist. Revelation 13, starting to read in verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power, and his throne, and great authority. So Satan here has given authority to this one who will speak out blasphemous names of against God. This one we refer to as Antichrist. Verse, continuing on in verse uh, 3. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, who's like the beast and who's to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him and he opened his mouth and blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle. That is those who dwell in heaven. That same beast is pictured there in Rev 13 is also pictured in uh, the book of Daniel in chapter 7 verses 26 and 27 and I'm going to read those verses for you as well in the book of Daniel chapter 7 verses 26 and 27 we read this but the court will sit for judgment and his dominion again referring to this one we refer to as antichrist His dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole, under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. 
His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all the dominions will serve and obey him. You see, all the way hundreds of years ago in the book of Daniel, it's prophesied that the dominion of this beast, of Satan and the Antichrist, will come to an end. And the Messiah is the one. The son of man that Daniel talks about is the one who will reign victoriously. So we see Jesus demonstrating his authority over the storm. Showing that he is indeed God. Because he's the only one. God's the only one who can calm the storm. We're going to see this morning Jesus having authority over Satan and his forces. In fulfillment of what we see in Daniel chapter 7. And ultimately in Rev 13. And we're going to see Jesus even forgiving sin. Who has the authority to forgive sin? Only God. In Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 and 2 says Messiah will be the one who brings forgiveness of sin. That passage and many others. And Jesus in saying today your sin is forgiven is showing that he is that Davidic son. The son of God, Messiah. Because he has that authority. So Jesus... Showing the people who he is by what he does and what he says. Comes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Remember last week in the, in chapter 8 down about verse 23 through verse 27. Jesus had gone to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Because there's all these crowds around him. And he just needed some time just so he could go and pray and be with God the Father. So they crossed over the sea, but now they just got to the other side. Now they have crossed into an area that's predominantly Gentile. We know that, for example, there's a huge herd of hogs over there. That wouldn't be on the Jewish side. We also know, as we look at these verses, that Jesus in verse 28 comes to the country of the Gadarenes. There's a, a small town called Gadara. Luke in Luke chapter 8 verses 26 through 39 and Mark in chapter 5 verses 1 through 20 say that this is the village of Gerasa or the Gerasenes. They're not in conflict with each other because those two communities are right near each other. Luke and Mark and Matthew all talk about this same event. So they, Jesus comes to this predominantly Gentile area. He gets out of the boat. And verse 24 says that two men who are demon possessed met him as they're coming out of the tombs. And it says they were so extremely violent that no one could pass that way. We know from Luke chapter 8 verse 30. When Jesus asked them their name, they said it's legion. Meaning that the main spokesman of these, of these two demoniacs had so many demons in him that he just said we're legion. There's many demons in this person. And they scream at Jesus. And the New American Standard says, what business do we have with each other? Literally, in the Greek text, there's a very peculiar word, set of words here. It could be translated this way. What to us and to you? And that was a very uh, a Hebrew way of saying something to the effect of, what have I ever done to you 
that deserves this. That's kind of what they're screaming at him. And they tell Jesus, if you're thinking about casting this out, we'd rather go into those hogs over there. In fact, we know from the book of Mark chapter 5 verse 13, that's 2,000 hogs. Iowans love that passage. Hey, you heard of 2,000 hogs. So these demons say, put us into those 2,000 hogs. And Jesus says, go. What do they do? The demons direct the hogs to go run off a cliff and they all die. Now, I don't think the demons wanted to go into the hogs because they were fearful of not having a body to, in which to dwell because they immediately go and run off a cliff. The answer to why the demons wanted to go into the hogs, I think, is down in verse 34. Because when people in town heard about this, it says the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. Hey, you are hurting us economically. We don't, those hogs weren't insured. And they're mad because Jesus hurt the community. It's not only Israel that rejects Jesus sometimes. Here's a Gentile city that does as well. Now what I want us to really see here in these verses is back in verse 29. Because when these two demons come out and start screaming at Jesus... They know exactly who he is. Remember with me back in just the verse before in Matthew chapter 8 verse 27. That when Jesus calmed the storm, what was the response of the disciples? What kind of man is this? But here, even though the disciples wondered who Jesus was, the demons know him. They know his authority as the son of God. What business do we have with each other son of God? They know exactly who he is. They know he's the Messiah. They know he's God's son. And then they say this. You have you come here to torment us before the time. Now there's a ton packed into that phrase. Have you come here. Here to this point on earth. There's a very strong probability. That what those demons are implying. Is the eternality of Jesus. That Jesus existed outside of this realm here on earth. Why have you come here? There's a, and there's a specific word in the Greek Bible for here. Why have you come here to this moment. To this place. Have you come here to torment us. Before the time. You see, these demons know that they are already defeated. They know that their end is sure. It's already over. Yesterday, we had a guy come and install an antenna on our house. So that I could finally cut cable TV. It felt kind of good. We're just kind of simplifying and didn't want to pay them any more money. And it just felt kind of good just to, to have that antenna. And it works fantastic. But I'm a little worried about missing some Cubbies games. 
So I've been talking to Pastor Eric on our staff, who is our in-house cubby expert, about, you know, how can I still see some cubby games? And, uh, you know, there's a lot of options out there. One of them is called Sling TV. And Pastor Eric said, now you got to be careful with Sling TV because it's not totally in real time. I mean, something will happen in the game and then a couple minutes later, the TV catches up to it. But he said you can work that to your advantage. Like you can say to your kids, I think the Cubbies are going to win this. I think David Bryant is going to hit that out. Or I should have said Ben Zobris is going to hit this out of the park. And then two minutes later, he does. And then your kids turn on. So, whoa, dad, I can't believe it. That's pretty cool. Except I don't have any kids at home anymore. And I don't think my wife would be too impressed. But it's kind of cool to be able to say that because you know that it's a done deal. And that's exactly what the demons know. They know it's a done deal already. You want to see a neat verse revelation chapter 20 verse 10 revelation 20 verse 10 says and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever remember the demons words to jesus back here in matthew chapter 8 verse 29 Have you come here to torment us before the time? Isn't that cool? Because they know that their end is sure. It's already done. It's done because of what Jesus is going to do on the cross. And that's important for us to remember as Christians. Because it's so easy for us to get discouraged as we look around. In our, the, in our communities and in the culture in which we live. And we see things just getting so perverse and gross. And it just seems our, like sometimes our culture is just spiraling downward out of control. And then we look and we see fragmentation. We see fragmented marriages and fragmented families. And it hurts because it's so close to us. And yet one day. All that fragmentation is going to be over. And all of that hurt is going to be over. And those fiery darts of the evil one will all be extinguished. You know what's really exciting to think about? When we enter the kingdom, all of those broken relationships will be healed. And we will have perfect restoration as brothers and those broken relationships between Christians will be healed. And we will have restoration. Restoration. And these demons know they've already lost the fight. Hey, are you, are you going to torment us before it's time? You know, the Apostle Paul encourages us in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. To be aware, as Connie reminded us this morning, we are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Remember? Two kingdoms in conflict. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces in this darkness. 
against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Those are verses of hope and encouragement that as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we can find strength and firmness in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We take up his word and find encouragement in it. It's like the sword that we do our battle with. We take up relationships with brothers and Christian, brothers and sisters in Christ by praying for each other. Praying for God's protective hand over our brothers and sisters of Christ against the fiery darts of the evil one. We are taking up the armor of God. And here it's important for us to remember that while sometimes we forget... Satan and his forces are keenly aware they've already lost the fight. Jesus, last week we saw, showed his authority over creation by immediately calming the storm. Only God could do that. Here, he shows his authority over Satan and his forces by casting out these demons. And those demons actually testify to his true person. Only God could do that. And then we come to chapter 9 where Jesus actually forgives sin. Only something that Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 and 2 and many other passages say will be done by God's son, Messiah. So Jesus gets back into the boat. And in verses 1 through 8, he's going to show his authority as the Son of God to forgive sin. And he's going to show that by healing a paralytic. He gets back into his boat and goes back to his kind of his hometown at this point in his ministry, his launch point, Capernaum. And it tells us in verse 1, he gets back into his boat, crossed over the sea, and came to his own city. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Now, if you want to read about this in Mark and Luke, you'd go to Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. And Mark chapter 2, verses 2 through 12. This is one of my favorite stories of the scripture. And when I was in Sunday school as a kid, we'd often make a little house. And there would be a roof on that house. And there was a hole there. And then we'd take yarn and we'd put on each corner of a little mat. And we'd let the man down through the roof. So that Jesus could heal him. So they could get him through the crowd. That's this account. Except Matthew doesn't record for us the part about the roof. He's, his purpose is something else here. And so Matthew is talking about that same event. When the man was let down through the roof. And here Matthew picks it up by Jesus seeing this man's friends and this man and sees their faith. They believed in the person of Jesus. They knew that Jesus could heal him. And Jesus, it says, seeing their faith, the faith of the man and the friends, said to that man who was paralyzed, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And you could have just heard the crowd. <gasps> And all the teachers of the law who would have been there think, he just blasphemed. Only God can forgive sin. They got that part right. What they were missing is the fact that Jesus is God. And Jesus, knowing what was in their hearts, 
says to them in verse 4, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? It's actually much more difficult for, for a man to say your sins are forgiven. Only God can do that. And Jesus says, so to show you that I am indeed God and I have the authority to forgive sin, I'm going to have this guy walk. And he just turns to the guy and says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And that's exactly what he does. If you look at verse 6, he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed and go home. And he got up and went home. You ever had a broken bone? I broke my arm twice. Once I fell off a horse. wasn't too smooth. And once I broke it playing football. Every Sunday afternoon we had neighborhood football games. Where we'd all get out in this big one acre grass area. And it was always tackle. And we'd always hurt each other. It was great. And I busted my arm. Remember what it's like to get that cast off after like six weeks? The first thing you do is just... I used to take a coat hanger and try to push down there. But you'd get all of these scratch and scratch. And then you slowly start to move it. But you remember how weak it feels? This is such a miracle. When God heals this man, he just gets right up. We don't know how long he's been a paralytic. Maybe his whole life. We don't know. But he just gets up and walks right out of there. And people are amazed. In fact, it tells us. The crowds saw this. They were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. They're probably amazed at the fact that this guy walked. You know what I think was amazing to that young man? That he walked out of there forgiven. Monday morning, this past Monday morning, uh, I was sitting at Panera Coffee. There's an eclectic group that just gathers around a big couple tables at Panera on Monday mornings. If you ever want an interesting conversation, come join us. It's people from every walk of life. Uh, it's, it's a pooling of worthless information. But we have fun. So we're sitting around these tables drinking coffee. And a female police officer from Cedar Rapids walks up. Gets some soda out of the soda machine which we're right next to. And one of the guys who's a master of useless information. Asked a question that was just intriguing. He looked at the police officer and said. How much does that belt weigh that you have around your waist? Well, I thought to myself, that's an interesting question. Because she's got a firearm. She had two pairs of handcuffs. She had, uh, I think, a stick. I think she may have a flashlight. She may even have had a can of spam in one of those compartments. If she got hungry, I don't know. She has a lot of stuff around there. And she said it weighs 25 pounds. 25 pounds you have to walk around all day. And then she said, between that 25 pounds and the vest that you have to wear, and I don't know if it's Kevlar anymore or not, but the vest you have to wear and the 25 pounds, she said, by the time I get home at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. And I thought to myself, I would be too. Carrying the 25 belt around and this heavy vest and walking around that and in the middle of the summer, all the heat of that vest and the carrying the 25 pounds, you just feel like, oh, the burden of carrying that all the time. And how good it would feel just to take it all off. Some of you, when you came to faith in the person of Jesus Christ, remember this distinctly. I did because I was old enough. The feeling... Of what it's like to finally know 
that the weight of your sin is gone. It's an unbelievable feeling. Unbelievable feeling. Because I can remember my parents being so concerned for me and my dad sitting on the back steps saying, son, you've not put your trust in Christ. And I can remember looking up at him and saying, I haven't and I don't want to. But when I did that, it drew a line in the sand and I knew, I knew that I was not right with God and I knew that I wasn't forgiven. And then all of a sudden the weight of that, it just got more intense and more intense and more intense. And then finally, that evening that I went to my parents and they read scripture to me and I finally put my trust in Jesus Christ. Just the sheer joy of taking that weight off. Knowing I'm forgiven. I don't have to walk around knowing I'm a sinner all this time. The joy of just being able to take off that load. And you know, for some of us here today, We've experienced that. We've put our trust in Jesus Christ. And we know how good it feels to know that we're right with God. But yet, there's so many other burdens that hit us. And and we see brokenness all around us. Sometimes even brokenness in our family units. And the pain of that. It's important for us to remember that brokenness is already defeated. That one day, All of that brokenness will be healed. And for all of us who are in Christ, those of us who have put our trust in Christ, fragmentation and hurt and pain will all be gone. It'll all be gone. But there may be some of us here this morning who you know in your heart you're still walking around with all of the weight of your own sin on your life. And I would encourage you in this. What did Jesus say this man did that caused him to say, son, your sins are forgiven? It was in response to their faith. And it's as simple as that. All a person has to do is put their faith, their belief, their trust in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what I did that night many years ago. I finally took the dependence off of myself thinking I could be a good enough person to somehow earn a right relationship with God. And I put my faith in Jesus, believing that he's God, that he died for me and rose again from the dead. And if you're here today and you're still wearing the weight of your sin, I would encourage you. You could right now just pray to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner God, I know Jesus is God who died for me and rose again and I'm putting my trust in him right now. And if you do that, if you actually transfer your trust onto him, your sin will be removed from you and you'll be forgiven. And I would encourage you, if you are processing that, in our prayer room, we've got materials. We've got a little booklet. We also have a little pamphlet. In the little booklet, you can just go back. One of our elders will be back there and say, hey, can I have one of those? And in the first chapter, you can take out your own Bible and look up verses that tell you how you can know for sure that your sin's forgiven. And you can and take that and go through and work that through yourself so you, in your heart, you can know what Jesus has done for you. Or maybe you want to grab one and give it to a friend. That's cool. Those are available after the service. 
But Jesus' words here, take courage, your sins are forgiven, are available to us all. Father, we thank you that Jesus demonstrates his authority in these verses. His authority over Satan. Satan's already lost. And Satan is, and his forces know it. Help us to take courage in that truth. And Father, thank you for knowing the freedom of what it feels like to not have the weight of sin on our own shoulders. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.